Hi everybody, my name is Michael Domingue and welcome to Strange Tales of Myth and Magic. In this podcast, we're going to explore mythology and magic and fairy tales and wives tales and maybe some snake tales. We'll take a peek at some of the strange legends and stories throughout history and how they affected culture and how they affected me as an artist. So sit back and let me tell you a story. This week's episode, The Lugaru, a French werewolf in Canada. Now, who would have thought that there is a Canadian werewolf? I mean, who would have, who could have imagined that? That's something that I, I actually found it quite interesting. I, I had never heard about it. Now, in the off chance that you have no idea what a werewolf is, as unlikely as that might sound, a werewolf is somebody who has been cursed to turn into a wolf, usually at night or sometimes by the full moon. And in most cases, the wolf is different than the human aspect of, of the, the, the person. You know, the wolf is animalistic and, and in many ways vicious. And, and it, when the person wakes up, either they're, you know, horrified what they've done or they don't remember it or, or you know, that type of thing. So there's a, there's a split. It's sort of a personality split. So to properly explore the legends of the Lugaru in Canada, we need to go back in time. We need to go to the mid-18th century, you know, right around the 1760s or so. It, because that's really kind of where the whole Lugaru werewolf sort of stories start popping up. Now, most of these tales actually take place sort of right after the French-Indian War. And this was basically where the, the British had taken control over many of the French territories in Canada. And if you lived in this area, like the areas of Quebec and whatnot, you, you would probably feel a bit angsty. Because, you know, one minute you're a French citizen and then, whoops, well, I, I guess you're a British citizen now. And perhaps with this sort of anxiety, that made this area really fertile soil for werewolf legends to take root in. In fact, in the Quebec Gazette in uh, July of 1766, there is an article warning people about a lugaru, about a werewolf that has come and walked into the city in the form of a beggar. And, um, you know, he just seems like an average guy, but not really. So here's a, here's a section from that particular article. So it starts off by going, by accounts from St. Rock, near St. Cap Morosca, we learn that there is a werewolf wandering about the neighborhood in the form of a beggar. And then it goes on to say, The beast is said to be as dangerous as that which appeared last year in the country of Gévoudon. Wherefore, it is recommended to the public to be as cautious of him as it would be of a ravenous wolf. And that is July 14th, 1766. That's pretty astounding. I mean, a werewolf makes it into the paper. That is pretty amazing. Now, in the article where it talks about the, the country of Gavoudon, um, what that's referring to is there's, a, there's something called the Beast of Gavoudon. And this was an incident that took place in 
a, a region of France where in the, you know, roughly around the same time, there was said to be um, a wolf that was terrorizing people. And legitimately, there were these wolf attacks, 60 to 100 deaths by this beast of Gevaldon. And it, it was said to be massive and it, was, it would just kill people and, you know, and, and maim them and all this stuff. And everything they tried to do wouldn't work. They'd, they'd shoot bullets at it and it survived and it would just kill and kill and kill. Well, it, it got so bad that the king of France sends out some professional military guys to go and kill this thing, which um, after a while they do. They bring they bring this thing back and it's this big gray wolf and they, you know, analyze it and they cut it open. And sure enough, there's Jean-Pierre in the stomach and all that kind of thing. And um, and then I think they stuff it and put it in a museum, um, except that um, not long after more wolf attacks and this goes on and you know more wolf problems and that sort of thing that is until a farmer named jean chasse um goes out and and it's said using silver bullets kills the monstrous wolf and, you know, you can find plaques and little etchings of him. You know, he's become quite famous historically for, for this feat. Now, some have said that um, this wasn't one beast. This was, you know, a pack of wolves. And that's mostly the historic scientific analy- you know, an analysis of this event. You know, it was really a number of wolf attacks. And, and then there are those who said that um, this, no, this was, this was actually um, a, a crazy wolf. And then there are those who say that the, the beast of Gavaldon was actually a werewolf. And as silly as that seems, lycanthropy, or werewolfism, was believed to be a legitimate concern, um, you know, in Europe for several centuries, you know, from as early as 1400s, maybe even earlier. 30,000 people were executed in Europe for being thought to be werewolves. I mean, I know you hear about witches being burnt at the stake, but did you know that 30,000 werewolves were, were executed? Some burnt, some hung, but that's a whole lot of people who they people think are werewolves. So let's head back to, to French Canada. And, you know, the, this story of the, the Beast of Gavaldon is, is in your mind, and you know, maybe there are werewolves, and, and then there's articles in the newspapers. I suspect that people, you know, genuinely believed that there were werewolves roaming around. And they believed that there was a Lugaru, um, you know, potentially creeping in the woods at any given moment. And it could be your neighbor, and it could be, you know, your buddy, but yeah, you don't know. So before I get into some of the legends, I, I suppose it makes sense to tell you a little bit about these werewolves, like how they become werewolves and, and all that sort of stuff. So first off, how you become cursed um, is that you, you're not pious. In this case, in this case of werewolfism, you don't go to church, you don't go to mass, and you become a werewolf. That is your punishment. So your punishment apparently is everybody's punishment. And I've even come across a few accounts where it basically is very definitive in saying that if you miss Easter Mass seven years in a row, then you're screwed. You are a werewolf. Now, unlike the Hollywood werewolves, um, these werewolves are every single night. You don't have a month break in between full moons. You know, it's like every single night, every single the sun goes down and woo, you're a werewolf. And most of these curses actually 
last for X amount of time. There's some set number of days that this person is cursed for. And, and I'm not sure where that number comes from. But for instance, you would be cursed for 101 days. And on day 102, the, the curse is lifted unless somebody releases you from it. And the way you do that is it has to be like a friend or an acquaintance who actually draws blood from you. You know, and, you know, it's like basically if you stab him and he bleeds or, or that type of thing. Or I, I suppose you could take a leech, you know, maybe a leech and drop blood. I suppose any sort of drawing of blood. But but it has to be somebody, you know. Now, here's the thing, though, is that if either the person who drew the blood or the werewolf or previous werewolf um, say anything about this, if the secret is spilled, if the beans are spilled, the person who drew the werewolf's blood, that person becomes a werewolf. So mum's the word. So one of the tales from this area actually takes place in the Montreal area and sort of in the river areas and that neck of the woods. And this is about a miller who is named Joachim Crete. And he basically, um, you know, he's a nice guy. He's, you know, the hard worker and the neighbors like him well enough. I mean, he's not, not the most pious of guys. So which, you know, you know, that could potentially mean. But, you know, he's a decent guy, you know, he makes a good living. And but, you know, it gets to a point where, you know, he's, he needs some help around the place. And as it happens, um, a guy rolls into town named Hubert, Hubert Savageau, who's a French immigrant, just fresh off the boat from France. And he approaches the miller and says, hello, I am Hubert Savageau. I am looking for a place to crash for a while, a place to stay, a place to hang my hat. Uh, I would gladly help around the, the mill if, if, if you would offer such a thing. Well, you know, Joachim is like, hey, great, move in. You can help around the, help around the, the mill and you'd help me out. And, you know, yeah, you know, move on in. Well, it, it turns out they become really good friends and especially really good drinking buddies. You know, that they, they, you know, they would go out carousing every night. They get blasted and you know, they drink and party till, you know, the wee hours of the morning. And then they'd get up early and work and then they drink and they do this day in and day out. And and, you know, they would they wouldn't go to church as, as often as they should. And, and certainly Hubert never went to church and and, you know. And Joachim, yeah, he, he started going less and less and less. Well, a little bit of time passes by and everything's going great, except one night, um, a bunch of livestock in a nearby settlement are mutilated, just viciously devoured. And the people in the area are, are pretty convinced that this is not just an ordinary wolf attack. This isn't a bear attack. This is actually a lugaroo. This is a monster on the prowl. Well, Joachim, you know, didn't really believe any of this stuff. And, and so, you know, you know, he and Hubert, they just, you know, they just work. They do their thing, work and drink and work and drink. And they just go on with their life. Now, the neighbors have a slightly different perspective on all of this, you know, because suddenly Joachim's not going to church as often as he used to. And, you know, and who's a stranger anyway? This, you know, Hubert in it with a last name, Savageau, Savage. Hmm. A few days later, a child is found torn to bits, you know, same kind of wounds as the livestock. 
And and the neighbors come to Joaquim. It's like your your assistant, your worker, your roommate is a Lugaru. There's no doubt this is a Lugaru. You need to get rid of this guy. And, you know, Joaquim's like, you guys get out of here. You guys are superstitious weirdos. You just back off. You leave me alone. I don't want to see you guys anymore. Well, Christmas Eve rolls around, and um, needless to say, the Joaquim and Hubert are not at Christmas Midnight Mass. Um, they are instead um, getting blasted, drinking bottles of wine like they were water, and sucking them back and playing checkers. Well, all of a sudden, there's a big commotion outside, and you know, two men are a little bit startled, and um, you know, Joaquim's like, "Hey, did you hear that?" And Hubert's like, "Hey, I think I heard something," you know. So they go running out the running out the door, and they're looking, and they're just you know, they're just wasted, and they're stumbling around out there, just wandering around in the dark, looking around the the farmhouse, and you know, they don't find anything. So Joaquim comes, you know, comes back and and he realizes that Hubert is nowhere to be found. He's like, you know, hey, where's my buddy? Where's my buddy? We got to finish our game. Where's my buddy? So Joaquim, you know, starts to head back outside, but then he hears a growling behind him from inside the house. Like, and he turns around and he sees these big red glowing eyes staring at him and then out of the dark it leaps at him it's a big giant gray wolf and they're tumbling around the floor tumbling around the floor and the teeth are gnashing gnashing trying to bite Joaquim's face off and then Joaquim manages to grab a scythe that happens to be laying near him and he takes a big swing Swoosh. And lops off one of the beast's ears. Now, this is an immortal blow by any means, but the beast yelps and hightails it right out the door. Miller stumbles to his feet and grabs a bottle of wine and takes a big chug and then and realizes, Hubert, you know, he's still outside. You know, what, what about his buddy? What about his pal? And he calls his name and calls his name and no word back. And he's afraid that Hubert is a victim of the werewolf. Now, the next morning, Joaquim wakes up and, and he hears something coming from the bathroom. And so, so he comes running over, running down the hall. He opens the door and, and there's Hubert. He sees Hubert standing there from behind and, and Hubert is busy shaving. And he's like, Hubert, I, I, thought, I thought the wolf got you. I was worried sick about you. Hubert you know, slowly turns around and says, you are worried about me? And then Joaquim notices that one of Hubert's ears is missing. And that's how that that story ends. So you don't really know what happens next, but you know it's a it's a good campfire sort of tale. Now, apparently, um, according to you know the legends, that you know they these sort of curses weren't just necessarily limited to wolves. You you know you could become um, not just a werewolf, but you could become a were owl, a were cat, um, a were cow. There were even cases of were pigs. Now I, I don't know how I don't I don't know how intimidating a were cow would be. I don't know that you would even care if there was a were cow. It's like oh, it's a were cow. I mean, what you know, it's gonna 
you know, eat all your grass. I mean, I don't know. So I don't know if you have a wear cow, I think you got, I think you got bigger fish to fry. Now there's a couple of theories as to where, you know, werewolf legends, especially werewolf legends in this particular region come from. And, you know, obviously some of that comes from Europe, but also, um, colder climates, you know, when you have a cold climate, you know, with a lot of wolves and you've got a lot of snow and you have potentially a lot of starvation. So it's said that some of these Lugaru attacks might actually be acts of cannibalism instead, you know, desperate people. Now, interestingly enough, there's there's another creature that that roams this neck of the woods that that could be associated, you know, with the Lugaru, and that's the Wendigo. And this is from the Algonquin tribe. Actually, it's a, a creature from from many different Native American tribes. But this is an entity that 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 devours human flesh. And my understanding of this creature is that they were once human beings um, who were so consumed with desire for power and greed and and evil things um, that when they would succumb to harsh conditions like like cold or starvation, when they would succumb to that, then they would return as this cannibalistic monster creature thing. Now, obviously, in this case, they're not turned into a wolf, you know, but um, they're they're certainly um, animalistic or beastly in nature. Now, it's speculated that these First Nation legends might have sort of mingled with some of the werewolf legends of, of Europe. And thus, you get something like the Lugaru. So one of the things I like to do on this podcast, at least when it's applicable, is I like to, you know, talk about how, you know, I might have made some art that relates because, I, you know, ultimately I am a visual artist. So I was thinking back, trying to think if I'd actually done any werewolves. Now, I, of course, I've, I've done lots of little monstery things, but I don't know that I've actually done any werewolves. But then I remembered um, when I was a kid, um, one of my, I guess you could consider it my first sculptural piece, my first found object assemblage, in fact, um, where I took a little rubbery werewolf. It's like a little rubber werewolf toy. You know, had the little torn jeans, you know, like was stereotypical. And um, I decided I wanted to make him into a pirate. So what I proceeded to do, um, you know, I was probably about third grade or so, I proceeded to stick his foot in the fire until it melted off. And, you know, then I replaced his foot with uh, a toothpick, thus turning him into a little peg leg. Now, my parents weren't really keen on this, and I believe I was grounded for about a week or so. And, and I'm sure it had absolutely nothing to do with me sticking my hand in the fireplace. And it, it, they just didn't appreciate my art. And, and isn't there you know, a little bit of werewolf in every artist? You know, because to be an artist, you need to to break the rules. You need to go against the norm. You need to do stuff that's a little bit dangerous once in a while, even if it goes against society and culture. Now, that said, it doesn't mean you're not going to get grounded. So there's another common folktale um, from Quebec about the Lugaru that um, features, um, believe it or not, Hubert Sauvageau. Remember him? 
Maybe it's a sequel because, you know, you never really know what happens at the end of the other one. So you could look at it as a sequel or maybe a prequel or, or maybe they're two different characters altogether. But in this one, Ubal Savageau is a hunter and he's out with his apprentice, Andre, and he and Andre are, are making camp and, and along comes a stranger named Leo. And, you know, he joins them and they're, they're all, you know, kind of camping together because they're all there to do some hunting. And they're cooking up some beans or I don't know. I'm not sure what they cook in campfire, some sort of stew, maybe a maybe a squirrel stew of some kind. And they're just um, chowing down. And and, you know, the, the rumors of the Lugaru are sort of out and about. So it, it's probably around the same time period as, as the other folktale. And, you know, Andre's young and he's a bit fretful about the idea of a werewolf. And, and Uber sees this. And so he comes over to him and he, he gives him a little charm, a little religious charm. And then Hubert says to Andre, if you see a wolf that uh, has a white ring in the middle of his forehead, that is a werewolf. And what you must do is you must take this charm and you must throw it very, very hard so that it hits that ring like a bullseye. And Andre is kind of like, well, really? Yeah, that's, that's all you need to do? And like, yeah, you know, okay. And he's a little bit, you know, he's a little bit dubious. It doesn't seem like much. Think, you know, like a gun or a knife or something would be better. But, you know, you know, he'll listen to the advice of his elder and, you know, hopefully that'll work. And meanwhile, Leo is kind of quiet during this conversation. I mean, maybe he just doesn't know a lot about, you know, werewolves and things. And maybe he doesn't believe in werewolves. But, you know, he's just eating his little squirrel stew and... And then they all settle down for the evening and fall fast asleep to the chirping of, of little crickets. Now, sometime in the middle of the night, Andre is, is awoken by Hubert sort of creeping out of camp, disappearing into the woods. And Andre follows him for a bit and then sort of... Hubert sort of disappears into the darkness. Suddenly, a growling sound comes from the woods, deep in the woods. Andre hides behind a tree and, and sees this massive wolf just devouring a deer. Quickly, the young apprentice sort of sneaks back to camp and, and you know, just he can't sleep, his eyes wide open. Every little sound is registering in his head. Every branch crack, every leaf rustle just sends shivers down his spine. So his eyes stayed wide open until the dawn came. At which point, Uber comes walking into camp. Without saying a word, he plops down by the fire and falls fast asleep. Now, Leo wakes up and, and, and Andre immediately tells him the story, saying, hey, you know, this happened, and, you know, the wolf, the thing. And so he takes, he takes Leo to the carcass and Leo's like, hmm, this is trouble. And Andre's like, you know, why? Why is this trouble? He's like, this, my friend, is a werewolf. And Andre's like, wow, how do you know? How do you know it's a werewolf? You see this carcass? You see any tracks? See any human tracks? See any wolf tracks? There aren't any tracks. That, my friend, is a werewolf. So the two of them go back to camp. And, and just as they're arriving, Ubel is waking up. And, Ooh, what a nice sleep that was. 
And Leo immediately confronts him and says, "Uh, Look, mister, I think you're a werewolf. Now, interestingly enough, Hubert immediately confesses and says, Yes, it is true. I am a werewolf. I am a lugaru. But hey, look, do not worry. I will not hurt you. I will not hurt you at all. Look, last night was proof. I was a werewolf. I could have eaten you. I could have gobbled both of you up and nothing happened. So see, I'm a nice werewolf. And Leo's a bit suspicious. He doesn't really buy into this. He doesn't trust. He doesn't trust this Uber guy. You know, Andre is eager to try and believe him, but Leo pulls him aside secretly and says, Listen, Sonny, you can't trust a werewolf. So the three continue their day out hunting, and then night falls. Uber says, um, hey, I need to go take a wheeze. So he heads out behind a tree, except when he comes back, he's a wolf, and he leaps towards Leo. Arr, 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 big gnashing teeth, chomp, chomp, chomp. Well, Andre quickly grabs a little charm that Uber had given him, and he hurls it with all his force into the white ring in the center of the werewolf's head. In fact, he throws it so hard that it leaves a bloody mark on the werewolf. Well, presto magico, and Uber is back. He's back. He's like from wolf to man in no time. Zoom. And then Uber, you know, he, he comes over and he hugs Andre. He says, oh, merci beaucoup, my little friend. You have saved me. You have saved me from my curse. You have drawn the blood of a werewolf. And, and behold, I am my sweet, sweet self once again. But you must promise never to tell anybody about this. This is our little secret. (laughs) And of course, Andre and Leo do keep it to themselves because they know quite well, if they don't, they would themselves become werewolves. One of my favorite books is Steppenwolf by Herman Hesse. And basically the premise of this, I mean, in a nutshell, it's it's about a man who struggles with what he sees are the two halves of him. You know, the on one half, he has the cultural, you know, he's raised in a you know, cultural, stiff cultural environment. And, you know, you listen to you listen to opera and you read Goethe and you do all these civilized things. But then there's the other part, the artistic part, the the expressive part that would pounce on him and that would be the wolf the wolf would question his his civilizedness his his cultural aspects and and the societal norms that he would find himself in but when the cultural side that the 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 man aspect of him um was in control the man aspect would beat down that expressive wolfiness inside himself and of course it's all metaphorical And it's no wonder that I would like this book as an adult, because it really is kind of the the same story as Where the Wild Things Are. This was my favorite book as a kid, where you have little Max, you know, who, you know, is kind of a naughty little kid and then decides to go off to where the wild things are, where he feels, you know, feels free, but he doesn't quite fit in there either. And this is the quandary of the werewolf. Um, and, and really, this is the quandary of every single human being. That battle between the individual, the expressive, and society, and norms, and conformity. And it's not uncommon historically for free thinkers to be thought as dangerous to the community. But on the other hand, 
Um, if you look back to 30,000 people being burned at the stake for werewolvism, um, I think there's also a risk in orthodoxy as well. So you might be curious of what ever became of that alleged werewolf um, in Quebec, you know, the one that was in the Quebec Gazette. Well, in the fall of 1767, a campaign was created to hunt the beast. And what was reported in October is that they had won a major victory in that their dogs were set upon the beast and it was seriously injured. However, a few weeks later, it was reported it was back and it was pissed. Apparently, it was causing more problems than ever. In December of 1767, the Gazette says, The beast is not entirely destroyed, but begins again to show itself more furious than ever and makes terrible havoc wherever it goes. And then it says, Beware, then, of the wiles of this malicious beast, and take good care of falling into its claws. So after this, there are no more articles in the Gazette about the werewolf and werewolf sightings. Um, so does this mean that uh, the Lugaroo is no more? Mm, maybe not. In 2019, a hunter named Gino Mikas was out with his wife and his grandson. They were hunting grouse, and they came across a strange howling sound, um, something that, that at first he thought was, was a moose and then maybe a wolf, but it was something way different than either of those. Take a listen. This is what they heard. So, as of yet, nobody has been able to identify that sound. Um, they don't really know what it is. Hey, it could be a werewolf lurking in the Canadian woods. So, if you hear a strange howl like this, or maybe you come across a stranger with an outrageous French accent, you might want to be a little extra careful. That's it for this week's episode, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to pop it again. There's going to be new tales of myth and magic popping up in the future. So uh, tell your friends. That's always helpful. And um, if you're interested, stop by my website, www.michaeldebing.com, and you can see some of the artwork that I create that might relate to what we're talking about. And if you want to delve a little further into the topic, I'll have blog posts that relate to each of these podcasts. So until we meet again... I'll be missing you.